right on. Welcome to Circuitous Conversations with Bill and Dan, episode 81 for Monday, April 16th, 2012. I am Bill Wadman. I am Dan Gottesman. And uh, we are here in beautiful New York City. It's gorgeous out today. It is beautiful out today. Uh, as it was this weekend, it was very nice. Spring has sprung. Yeah, the problem is spring has sprung with all the pollen. Mm, that's a good point. I've been you- uh, sneezing a little bit this weekend myself. Yeah, it's like my my throat is sore, and I kind of feel spacey all the time. Are you taking medicine? Uh, I, well, see, that's the thing. When I don't take medicine, I feel spacey. When I take medicine, I'm a little less sniffly, but I'm still spacey. Okay. That doesn't you know? sound like a... I mean, I guess it's better than, than nothing, but uh, maybe yeah. you should drink more coffee. Well, see, here's the thing. Right. So I felt spacey, and then last night I drank uh, a couple cans of Coke with dinner. Oh. And I felt better afterwards. There you go. Caffeine so maybe helps, it really man. is with the allergies. Yeah, maybe. Uh, last night I was in bed and I actually got up and rummaged through my closet to pull out a HEPA filter. You ever have one of these things? You mean like, uh, well, I think my vacuum cleaner has a HEPA filter in it. Right. So they make these, and HEPA, I forget what it stands for. It's like some particle size, whatever. The idea is that, you know, it's got a filter in there and when the air goes through, it's small enough holes that the air goes through, but anything in the air doesn't. Mm-hmm. Um, or up to like, you know, 99 point whatever percent. Sounds like a lot of work to me. It is, but if your room is full of pollen because you had the windows open because it was hot yesterday. No, no, I mean, I'm just saying like the concept like uh, of a filter. You know, it's like oh. we have this thing. It's like a, a very tightly packed thing that stuff has to pass through. So I would imagine like the efficiency of that has to be uh, pretty low. Yeah, no, you know? it's it's kind of crazy. And, and the HEPA standards, apparently it's 99.7. Of all particles greater than 0.3 micrometers. I don't get that. I mean, I understand it. Don't get me wrong. But it just feels like it's so, you know, there's so much energy being uh, not wasted. You think there's a better way to do it? No. no. I'm assuming that's the only way to do it. But it just seems like, you know, that's a lot of energy. Well, interesting. Actually, they do use a lot because it's basically like, you know, it's got a fan inside and it blows it through. Mm -hmm. Um, They actually use a lot of juice. Oh yeah, well, a like surprising amount of, amount of juice. I, I mean, well, think about it. You're you're basically trying to. I mean, it would be the equivalent of you trying to like, like put a sponge up to your mouth and blowing through it. Yeah, exactly. You know? And I mean, and it you know you can do it, but it's 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 gonna yeah. it's gonna you know, take some energy to do that. And they're loud. These oh. HEPA filters. Some people um, like that though. I kind of I've actually kind of gotten used to having a. It's a white a fan noise on. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, the, apparently, the original HEPA filter was designed in the 1940s to be used at the Manhattan Project to prevent spread of airborne radioactive contaminants. I believe that. I was I was thinking when you said that uh, thing, NASA, you know, space. Yeah. Because yeah. Those guys need to figure that stuff out. And I think well. I think that they used it too. Yeah, um, right. Anyway, just interesting stuff. So I, I ran the uh, HEPA last night. Put some earplugs in. Ran the HEPA. Uh huh. And when we got up this morning, both Heather and I felt much better huh, than we have in the past few days. So interesting little thing. HEPA filters. Nicely done. Yeah. Figured you might uh, have uh, used one at one point. In your I life. came close. When I lived in that uh, apartment in Bushwick where the walls and, and the uh, joints holding the walls and ceilings together were less than uh, optimal, and I had some very stinky neighbors um, who smoked all the time, oh. I, I very uh, strongly considered getting something along those lines, but uh, <laughs> I wound up just moving instead. But the stink of their smoke came through the walls? Oh, yeah, dude. It was like I was hanging out in a bar all the time. Was oh, like, God. Was like I, cool. That would be an untenable situation for me. Yeah. It was pretty, uh, pretty uncool. And I mean, that, was, that wasn't even the worst of it. I mean, that was just like sort of like one of the lesser major problems. The, 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 the bigger major problems were, were noise-related because uh, like I could... like. Uh, I remember the first time it happened. You, you know that um, I think it's either a Nokia or a BlackBerry sound effect. It's like a bling bling bling. You know, like yeah. like when you get a text message. I heard mm-hmm. one of the. I heard that, and I'm like, I don't have a BlackBerry. Why did I hear a BlackBerry text message sound? And then I, you know, I kind of went around my apartment. I'm like, did, did a friend of mine leave a phone here or something? You know, and, and it happened again. And then I realized it was just my next door neighbor, and wow. I could hear the the phone through the wall. And I'm like, oh my god. But you That's didn't hear them good. talking and having sex and doing whatever else oh, people do? I, I could hear those sorts of things when they happened. Um, I guess my schedule was such that it, uh, it just, you know, it just wasn't, um, it wasn't that, that common. Uh, it, although I move, you know, I lived there for three years. So over, over the years, things got progressively worse. 
Through the years. Yeah, look at you. James Taylor? Is that how that is? No. Cat Stevens? No. That's uh, um, somebody's hippie. Oh, my God. What the hell is his name? I don't know. Kenny Kenny Rogers. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, Through the years, Kenny Rogers. Good for Kenny Rogers. Very, very sad song. The Gambler. Always makes me cry. Mm. Uh, Hey, so there's an article, well, two things that I wanted to bring up with you that are somewhat unprepared for you and I, but I thought you'd get a kick out of. Okay. I love getting kicks out of things. Have you heard of this guy, Jason Scott? Mm Mm-mm. Okay. He's got two first names. Yeah, yes, he does. Apparently, he runs uh, textfiles.com. Textfiles.com. Yes. Uh, Still nothing. Okay. What's that? So, he... (laughs) He decided to start collecting as a side thing back in the day uh-huh. stuff from like the BBS world. He's the oh. guy who made that BBS documentary. Oh, okay. That I I think I watched in its entirety and you didn't. <laughs> right. I haven't yet, but yeah. I, it's on my list. Uh-huh. So apparently he, he made some money in a Kickstarter project basically asking people to pay him to be him. You know, a okay. couple of years ago. Uh-huh. So that he, because he collects all of, not just the stuff that was on bulletin boards, but like the the CDs of shareware that used to be in computer magazines. Sure. I remember They used those. to be full of just like dentritus from all over the web or all over the world, I guess. Uh-huh. Um, all that kind of stuff. And uh, he lost his, or left his job as like a sysadmin or whatever, because he hated doing it. Mm-hmm. And he ended up getting hired eventually by the Internet Archive. Hmm. Archive.org? Yeah. Hmm. So he's telling a story in one of these videos that we'll put in the show notes, and I'll get into the videos in a second, that he was there and he's like, he went up to somebody, he's like, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm working on this project, I want to put this stuff up, I need a server with some space so I can put this stuff up, and the guy was like, oh, here, and he sends him back an email, and it's this machine for him to log in, and he logs in and checks the free space, and there was like 44 terabytes of space on it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And he was like, yeah, that'll do. That's Yeah, that's a lot of text files, bro. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, in these two uh, videos that my friend sent me, mm-hmm. it's fascinating stuff. Like, first of all, he, he, he talks about all those, all those discs and how his, his passion is to save this stuff for the future, right? Yeah. That, that we are creating all of this stuff, just like the Internet Archive does and oh, Wayback totally. Machine. We're creating this stuff and we're throwing it out so quickly that no one's saving it. Yeah. Um, and who knows what's in there that people will think is important 50 years from now. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, so he's saving all this kind of stuff. And there's these two videos where he talks about all kinds of strange things he's found. And one of them is all about porn before the internet. Mm-hmm. Like before the web. Mm-hmm. And... I mean, you remember this stuff from sure. like BBSs and like you know sure. even when even like teenager, Playboy pictures. That's you know. what it was all. It was either, it was about video games, porn, and um, and I, I guess not just video games, but you know just getting getting software. You know, yeah, like getting sure wares and getting stuff. yeah wares and porn were the were the two biggies. This was before right. music and movies. You know, obviously they were they were too big Way to too be big. transferring. But you know, sure. you know, people make disc images of of game floppies or whatever, and then you know, there's always you know the the triple x section of the board sure. where you can get you know download you know huge 640 by 480 gifs yeah you know, full and, and they often had like <laughs> like uh, somebody's addresses down the bottom like phytonet addresses and that uh, kind of stuff sure. down the bottom phytonet. yeah so he he talks all about that but he goes back even further mm-hmm. to to talk about like uh when people were making ascii versions oh, yeah. of sure. playboy pictures and stuff yeah but they even before that apparently they were doing them on teletypes Oh. And the guy, these guys would make art on on ham radio and like blast out this data <sighs> that somebody else could record and then you know print Playback, out yeah, and it would sure. be this thing. Yeah, um, it, you you'll get a real huge kick out of these videos, so you should you know pull them down or watch them because I think you'll get a kick out of them. I will. Uh, but one thing that he brings up, which is really funny to me, he talks about uh, like the Atari twenty six hundred porn. There was like that weird one where the guys raping the indian girl you know what i'm talking about custer's revenge oh yeah i think i remember reading about that once i I didn't i never seen it and yeah well he he basically shows it and he's just like this is the absurdity of all this kind of stuff (laughs) and there were there were video there were uh cartridges for like nintendo that did the same kind of thing i guess his his point which is the seminal point of all this kind of stuff is that uh people will find a way like technology will be used to spread sex because that's what it is um but one of the things he said was that a lot of the stuff that we you and i saw in the 80s 
uh-huh. all this crazy stuff was actually originated in the seventies, like all these crazy ASCII things, and that they'd get passed down from system to system to the point where they it was originally teletype, and now it's on bulletin boards, and now you can find them on the web or whatever it is. Totally, um, just fascinating stuff. But he put up this shot. Do you remember a picture of a clown's face with like? off to this like uh one uh, lip from one side by like a soft box and it was used as oh, like, like, a, a like test image for like the high high res graphics or whatever yeah, yeah. do you remember that I image do. i do it was everywhere and he put it up on the screen and i was like oh man <laughs> like how many times you saw that like on screens and yeah. ads or whatever well d- have i mentioned to you have i forward i'm um if anyone follows me on twitter one of my recent regular um retweet you know tweety things that i've been tweeting is this are are images from this tumblr blog called what is it again i think it's called 80s touch i'm gonna i'm gonna put it in the notes it has just become my favorite tumblr blog just because they print they they put it's got a huge like like dozens a day i mean this is not if you're if you're the kind of person who gets behind on your feeds uh you might not want to subscribe to this but holy crap definitely take a visit some of these some of these shots are just so so good and it's a really great eclectic mix like you can tell most of these are just scans from like magazines or whatever but you know there's a there's a light mix of some like 80s you know from porn magazines but there's tons of cars computer magazines like stills from vhs you know like recordings of advertisements um movie stars um record album covers like airbrushed posters and there's some like animated gifs you know like like uh, someone's been posting a bunch of like you know uh, animated gifts from from television uh, bumpers and and other just oh it's just really great stuff. I'm gonna post a link to it now. I, I can't stop uh, reposting these some of these winners. They're really can't stop staring at it. It's really fun. Good stuff. Um, uh, there's it's it's just it's just I I don't know. I like I like looking back at the old stuff and just kind of not reminiscing, but it just kind of it f- kicks off weird memories. Yeah. You know? Yeah. No. Don't totally, dude. Uh, so you, you, I think you and probably a lot of our listeners would get a kick out of this guy's videos, uh, Jason Scott. I just love the idea that somebody actually brought him in to do what he does and are paying him to do it. That's awesome. You know, yeah, it's 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 good stuff. Um, hey, William Eggleston. Oh wait, you just reminded me. Uh, there's this one, this one, uh, this one quote. Okay. Uh, I've seen it somewhere. You just reminded me of it, and I'm just, I just want to look it up and make sure I have sure. it right. Um, damn it. Where the hell did they put that? Um, I think it's, it goes something along the lines of, uh, I'm fairly sure that if they took all the porn off the internet, there'd only be one website left, and it would be called Bring Back the Porn. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I saw an article the other day talking about, you know, like YouPorn and all those uh, websites that host all those videos. Uh-huh. There was an article the other day about how big those data centers are and that those sites are pumping out essentially 20% of the internet. Oh, more than that. Just in traffic. Imagine, right? Didn't just it used like, to be like 80% back in the No, no, no. Like literally, I know not just like, oh, 80% of the internet is porn, but like that the traffic that a handful of those sites put out is are like large percentages of the entire traffic of the web for each one of them. I believe it. It's just nuts. Yeah. Because, I mean, think about it. They're actually putting video through. Yeah. Like they're far bigger than, the only thing that might be bigger is YouTube apparently for, for overall bandwidth, which is just crazy to me. It's cool stuff. Yeah. Anyway, what oh. were you saying before? Oh. So, William Eggleston, yeah, photographer, yeah. photographer. Back in the 70s, took all these pictures that were part of William Eggleston's guide, which was like the thing that made him famous. Uh, big show. It was the first color photography show at MoMA. Mm. The whole thing. He used to make these uh, dye transfer prints, mm-hmm. which, you know how that works? Mm hmm. But why okay. don't you share? The, okay. The, the so listeners. the idea, basically, very few people do this anymore. I think there's one guy who still does. It's like preposterously time-consuming and expensive. <laughs> yeah. Essentially, you're separating the photo out and, and doing sort of like a CMYK kind of separation. Mm-hmm. And then somebody by hand is making each layer and then overlaying them on each other to make the final image. Mm-hmm. Like, basically... Uh, 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 taking a picture, making this dye stuff that you then like overlay onto the color beneath it. So it builds up a color image. Now the, it's very time consuming, um, but the results are very, very beautiful because it's 
crazy high saturation and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, and, and I like the idea that it's, it's a very crafty kind of thing to do. Yeah. So his first shows were all these dye transfer prints, and that's a lot of what gave them the look that they had. But you don't do dry transfer prints very big. I, th- I'm, I think they were probably, you know, 11 by 14 kind of size. Mm. Um, so he sold an edition of prints back in the day. I think it was like in the early 80s of all of these things, all of the famous pictures. And, uh, and that was that. So recently he had a bunch of the old pictures printed bigger. I think they're like, you know, a couple feet by a couple feet kind of thing. Mm. And he sold, or rather his trust, you know, his sons who run the thing now. Mm. He's still alive, but his sons run his, the Eggleston artistic, whatever, mm-hmm. um, did an auction and sold larger prints, not dye transfer. I, I, you know, I don't know if they're C prints or, or, or inkjet or what mm. of some of these really famous pictures. Mm-hmm. And uh, probably made a bunch of money. Yeah, six six point five million dollars. Damn, that that is like the closest thing to printing money you can get, man. That's yes. that's kind of awesome, right? But this is also what people are upset about because people who bought the other ones say, "Whoa, whoa, 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 whoa! You had this edition of prints. You put them out. We bought them. They, this is an investment for us because we think that there are only twenty of them, or whatever it is." And now you're going and making a larger size and selling them now. Yeah. We argue that that dilutes our purchase from 20 years ago. Well, it's different. I mean, I can, I can see both sides of the argument. My 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 gut, my leaning is though towards the towards the the you know against that. I think that yeah, when you when you bought that whatever 20 years ago. Those were the only ones around, and you know, and technically, those are still as original and as one of a kind as they were back then. Um, you, even if you did the exact same thing today, it still would be those original ones that were made by him, you know, at that time with that gear, you know, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, those right. those are as unique as they ever were and will continue to be. Um, so, you know, and that's really what makes them special, if you ask me, because you know, a, a picture. Uh, you know, an image, a, a piece of art like that, it, it's not, it's so funny how when you get to that status, like with, with you know, collectible art and what have you, it's, it's, so mu- it's so much, it's so not about the actual image itself. And, mm-hmm. and it's, it's all about like the circumstances surrounding it. I mean, mm-hmm. that's, that's how high art seems to work. You know, it's like you look, you know, walk through a museum and you look at, you know, some of the pictures and paintings and photographs and stuff on the wall. And it, you could, you could argue that some of these things are not terribly remarkable. Like some of these are not, might not be like, you know, technically great, uh, or compositionally great or whatever, but through whatever series of, you know, events occurred to get this guy, you know, to get the the producer, you know, the, the maker of that art, uh, famous or well-known or relevant or whatever, that's that's what made it valuable. You see what I'm saying? It's like so. It's it, it's all about like that story and the history and the context of the piece. And and I mean, I guess you, you could say that the, you know the, the actual content of it is relevant as well. I mean, I'm not I'm not saying it has nothing to do with it. Obviously, there are some amazingly, you know, fine, you know, super high quality, you know, you know, really terrific pieces of art out there. But my point is, when you get to the level of like people paying hundreds of thousands of dollars for for you know for a painting or a picture it's 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 not so much about the the actual picture itself anymore you know what i'm saying yes no i agree um and i don't like the idea that an artist can be told when he can or cannot sell his stuff yeah screw that but at the same time you know if if he had said in the beginning as some photographers do, I don't do editions. I sell prints. I don't do editions. I mean, you know, I, I guess I don't, if, if I don't. he claimed it was, if he claimed that this was a limited edition set of prints, then isn't there, isn't there some weight on his shoulders? Isn't there some, uh, I don't know what the correct legal term is to, to not make any more. I don't know. You know, I, I mean, I don't, I, I guess I understand it. Now this actually segues into another thing that I, uh, that I've seen recently that I think is actually, um, a, I, I am a huge fan of this. There's this okay. there's this video that has been going around. Um, you might have seen it. It's called Silver and Light. Yes, guy does the uh, has set up a giant view camera in a truck. Yeah. Um, we'll post a link in the notes for that. But um, that to me is is like the 
you know, the ultimate example of like one of a kind uh, artwork being produced. I mean, this guy, just for those who aren't familiar and for those, you know, who aren't going to watch it, uh, basic long story short is this, you know, this guy is basically, he turned his, his truck into a camera and is using a really complicated um, technique uh, of essentially, you know, making, he uses plates of silver, actual silver, and this just really complex uh, blend of chemistry um, like this is essentially super old school, like, you know, yeah, hundred, hundred year old, you know, technology prints. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know what they, what the, I personally don't know how that stuff works. It's, but it's, it's not easy. <laughs> uh, and no. it requires like, you know, multiple people and there's an ex like an excruciating amount of like trial and error, uh, involved. And, um, I think, I think he, he said something, something along the lines of, uh, $500 per, per shot, basically like between the chemistry sure. and the, and the silver and the time and the people, um, and all that stuff. And, and you're not even guaranteed that it's going to come out. <laughs> um, but the, th- but at the same time, each one of those shots is the only one. There's no negative. There's no print. Yep. It, it It is essentially a one of a kind capture, you know, of that moment in that exact time and space. And, I think that's kind of cool. I mean, and, and that was his motivation. He, he opens he opens the video, um, basically narrating it and saying how when he you know he was thinking about photography and, and the whole digital thing and making copies and there's no such thing as unique art anymore and, and this and that. And I, anyway, I, I really thought that was a really uh, uh, a, a good idea, a good approach, and I suggest you check it out. Uh, I agree. I like it too. Mm-hmm. And it, it begs the question of what is the original in traditional photography? Is it the negative? Yeah. It's the negative. You know, and, and, and that's, that's an interesting thing yeah, too. I agree. Negatives get destroyed. I mean, you could make the argument, I guess part of the problem of digital photography is that it is infinitely copyable with no degradation, right? Um, in theory. Yeah. In theory. Um, you could almost, though, and I've considered this myself, is take digital pictures, print something out, and delete all the files. So the only thing that exists is a single print. You know, mm. uh, you could. I guess you could force rarity. I guess on a on a on a system that doesn't have it built in. Mm. Um, it no, his thing is is crazy. You know, and but obviously very limited usage too, and and a little bit of a, a he's got his own. It's a shtick, right? Sure. That he's that he's doing this. All right. Yeah. No, it is. Um, I mean, there's lots of people like I think Sally Mann and some other people do collodion photography like that, and you have to create each glass plate like right when you're about to use it, and obviously the chemicals are pretty nasty, and you know it's silver, so it's very expensive. Yeah. It's interesting that that kind of stuff. The price actually is affected by the markets. You know. Yeah, it's like a commodity (laughs) or something. Right. It's kind of crazy. I mean, there are people uh, who actually like make, act, you know, financial investments in artwork. Like they use that as a as a an alternative to investing in you know gold or oh, sure. a stock or a, high art. You know. go, like it is is going through the roof the 20, past twenty years. It's kind of um, I was looking at actually some uh, Gursky prints. Andreas Gursky, who takes these large format pictures of they they end up looking almost like abstract stuff, but it's usually like. A river from the riverbank, but it's so clean, and he does some digital manipulation, so it really just looks like three horizontal stripes. You know, the opposite side of the river, the river, and the close side of the river, um, or or uh, 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 aerial photography of a racetrack in down in the Middle East in Dubai or whatever it is, and it's just these crazy sweeps of black, you know, in the desert, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And he sells these prints. Some of his prints are like millions of dollars, mm-hmm. but he's printing, you know, big. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's gotten there, but it's just, it's fascinating to me, the things that people choose to buy. Yeah. Um, I mean, I have a friend who's pretty wealthy and he's got a, he's got some Picasso drawings and a, you know, he's got crazy stuff on his walls. Yeah. And I think he's, he sees it as much as an investment as anything. Hmm. Um, tricky though. It seems like that's the kind of thing where if you were nouveau riche for some reason, like you IPO or whatever, <laughs> That you would have to, it would take some time for you to not get taken by people in that stuff. Oh, this is an original, whatever. It's worth a fortune, whatever, you know. And then you have somebody come in and go, yeah, actually, that was from a really bad period of his life, and you don't really want that. You know, you almost need people who have been, yeah, who don't know, through who it don't know forever. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's just kind of weird. It's true. But anyways, so this this Eggleston thing was just. It, I just think it's an interesting. It's an interesting question. 
What's the question? Oh, the like, question about the additions thing? Yeah, the art, you know, what, what is photographic art and, and what is what is worth something, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's true. I mean, you um, can say the same thing about um, lithographs, you know, prints. And, sure, and even, and even I mean, I mean, there are, like, companies, or I guess maybe not companies, but there, I know there are at least one or two groups in China um, that actually produce really, really amazing reproductions of 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 classic, you know, old school master oil paintings. Sure. You know, for, for, and some of them sell, like they're really expensive, you know, they're actually like, they're not cheap. Uh, and I guess they use them for like, I guess hotels or, you know, people want one in their house and they don't really care if it's, you know, in this case, they're actually, they want a painting that looks just like the original one and they don't really care if it's not the original one, but they just want that, you know, like Van Gogh's Starry Night or whatever. You really like that composition and you want it in your house and you don't want a, a photograph. You don't want a lithograph of it. You actually want paint on a canvas in a frame on your wall. And, right. and you know, I guess if that's, if that's what you want, that's kind of cool that that exists. It's kind of, it's crazy stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Agreed. Especially those people, man, they're so good. Who's that? Like, 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 Oh, those uh, Chinese artists, oil painters oh, yeah. and stuff. I mean, not even Chinese, whatever, <laughs> like, like forgers, essentially. Yeah, man. It's, it's crazy. It's some awesome. of the stuff they do. I agree. Uh, I saw some uh, video one time where they were talking about forgeries and uh, they found some forger artist uh, who does it, like you were saying, for people. He's this British guy. Mm -hmm. And he goes and he'll buy super, super crappy old paintings from, say, the 1920s or whatever. Because then he can use that same medium. He actually chemically removes all of the paint. So he goes right back down to the canvas, but that gives him an old canvas to work from. So when they carbon date it, whatever it is. just crazy yeah, stuff. Yeah, it's, it's awesome. You know. Uh, hey, so you and I have acquired some random little things lately. Uh-huh. And uh, so I, we have some mini reviews. Sure, mini reviews. Yay. Uh, what do you have on your list? Uh, well, just recently, uh, I decided I wanted to figure out how to uh, record stuff, uh, a make, a, make a video recording. Uh, of my iPad, I've been playing. As you know, I'm I'm uh, a bit of a video gamer, at least way more of a video gamer than you are, but but yes. not not a huge one by the standard, you know, today's standard of video games. But anyway, there's this one game that I play, um, and uh, it's called Hero Academy, and it's it's not particularly fancy or what have you, but um, I, I play it with my friend Pat, and uh, and he's actually quite quite good at it i've yet to yet to beat beat him um so you know like like anything when, when, you, when you play the same game as somebody else it's fun to sort of compare notes and talk shop and tell stories and say oh man i played this one game and this guy did this and it was that and, you know and that was so so cool or this was so awful or, oh my god you got to see what happened here and um surprisingly and fr frustratingly uh this game doesn't really offer you much in uh, in, in, in a way to record it or, or play it back. Um, I guess I got spoiled. I, I don't know if any of our listeners remember the old Bungie game. Uh, Bungie started this back in the late 90s. Uh, they had a game called Marathon, which essentially was their version of Doom, you know, first-person shooter. And I wasn't not a, not a first-person shooter kind of guy. But one of the things that I thought was really cool about Marathon, and they continued this this um, this this technique through uh, Myth and Myth 2, and I, I don't remember any other games uh, off the top of my head that did it, but essentially they, I think actually, no, I swear, I think Halo does it as well. Um, they essentially had the ability to record what they called a film, uh, a film file, and it's really, really simple. Basically what they do is they just record all of the events that occur during the game uh, to essentially like a little text file, and then you had the ability to save that text file and name it something so that if you wanted to play it back, you could. And the additional coolness factor was that you could, because it was just a series of events in time, it basically just recorded what happened where in this world. You could then go back and watch it from any given point of view at any given speed. Uh, and you can, you know, get a nice sort of customized replay, you know, instant, not, not instant replay, but, you know, replay, uh, viewing of of that game, uh, which which is really cool. It was really cool for tournaments. I mean, that's how that's how tournaments were played. You know, you submitted your film file, um, and and then everybody else could see the game too. It was really cool. So it's like a, a you just dump the data back into the engine, yeah. and the engine just, just re-renders it, it on the exactly. fly. Exactly, super smart. Yep. Uh, and I wish more games 
did that uh, because it's, it, that's half the fun for me. Half the fun. I mean, when I like, you know, one of my favorite kind of gaming is, is when I'm playing against a bunch of people and we're all in the same room and having a good time. So the next very, the very next thing to that is playing with a bunch of people who are on the internet. And if, if you can't share that experience, you know, it's, it's not as fun. So anyway, I was like, I, I, I had this particularly good game with this guy that I wanted to show Pat. And I'm like, Oh man, I, there's no way I can show him this. I can show him the last, the way the game works is, is, you know, it's a turn-based game and, um, you can, um, you, you can play back, you know, when you, when you bring up the, your turn, it, it shows you his move and then you can show that, you know, that little sequence to whoever's sitting with you at the moment, but that's it. Uh, once, once you do your move, it throws away that last move and, and it moves forward. So I was like, man, it'd be really cool if I could, uh, if I could record this somehow. So I did a little bit of research and I found a couple of pieces of software that enabled me to record my game playing on my Macintosh. So uh, the first piece of software is uh, something called Air Server. And uh, uh, I don't know what the name of the company is, but uh, anyway, it's like 15 bucks. So you, you get the software, you install it on your Mac, and you can then use Apple's recently updated and pretty damn cool um like home sharing or or uh, what Air, yeah, airplay what i think it? they call it airplay um yeah. like it, it it was pioneered i think by the uh by apple tv when the apple tv the new ones came out the little black ones they had this feature where you can uh just like the old school airport express where you could, you know, when you when you join a wireless network with an Airport Express on it that has a uh, a speak, you know, has something plugged into the headphone jack, then your iTunes on your computer or your iTunes or iPod software on your uh, phone or iPod or iPad um, will see them as an available output, so that you you know you can essentially wirelessly broadcast your audio to the speakers. Well, they they basically took that to the next level and did the same thing with video, um, and it's kind of neat. Um, you can actually broadcast the entire your entire screen uh, from your iOS device to an Apple TV using this little trick. So the guy who wrote the software basically took that same protocol and just you know essentially turned it into uh, a window, put puts it on a window on your Mac. Um, so like cool. So now I've so you can airstream to your exactly Mac, exactly. Saying. So now AirPlay. I can use the AirPlay protocol, and instead of having an Apple TV plugged into an actual TV, I can just do it with my Macintosh uh, in a window on a screen. So that's step one. So now I have my iPad's uh, audio and video, too, I should mention. Although the audio seems to have issues. It gets a little choppy. Although he has some settings in there where you can adjust the latency and what have you. I haven't monkeyed with it too much. But anyway, it works. It's really neat. So you get get your your iPad uh, or iPhone um, video in a window on your screen. And then uh, all you need to do is record that. And I remember doing a little bit of research about screencasting, you know, software, like the kind of software that, you know, that they use for doing tutorials and, and what have you. And I think you've, you've, you've used a, a bunch of that in the past. Uh, and the one sure. that, that uh, impressed me the most was another uh, app called ScreenFlow. And what I really dug about that is that it, it, it's all integrated into a single app where you, you can actually record your entire screen using QuickTime, like every computer comes with this. You can literally just start a screen recording right now and record all of the pixels of your screen to a giant ass QuickTime file and and have at it, which is which is fine. It's kind of cool that that's built in for free. But what if you want a little bit more control? Um, so that, that's where ScreenFlow kind of comes in, and it, it basically merges old school iMovie, you know, like the old timeline based iMovie, um, and, and and screen capture all into one. And they just did it in a really slick way. I mean, it's, it's really easy to use. Um, you can continue like recording and pausing and, and, and appending to an existing document. So like in this case, I've, I started recording this game and you know, the turns are only like 15, 20 seconds each. So I basically just, you know, bring up the screen on, bring up the iPad on my screen. I, I activate this, you know, screencast recorder. Uh, I, you know, play back my turn and then I stop the recorder and then I drop it right into the timeline. And then the editing is super fast and super easy. And, um, it also has like the ability to do cropping. So while screen flow is technically recording the entire display, I can say, just, just record this, you know, crop it down to just this one window. And then it, that, that persists throughout the entire project, which is nice. Um, and then you, you can overlay text. Uh, you can do multiple sources. It's a multi-track deal where you can actually, 
you know, it, it treats the video uh, sort of like a canvas. So if I wanted to, I could actually make the screen capture that I made a little smaller and do like a side by side thing or a picture in picture thing. Um, it, it just, it's really nice. It's really nice and flexible and uh, it's been working out really well. So uh, if you need to do, um, you know, screen, if you want to make a video of you doing something on your iOS device, uh, this is a neat way to do it. That is pretty yeah. cool. Hmm. So you could do screencasts of iPhoto on the iPad. Sure. You could, anything. I mean, like anything that you can do on your iPad or iPhone or whatever, uh, as long as it's, uh, you know, as long as, as long as it's not too, uh, too fast, um, I think it's fine. You know, because the frame rates are a little weird. Because uh, it is sure. going wirelessly, so if if you have something with really really complicated animation and lots of like things flying around, I don't think it's going to be terribly smooth. Um, I think I always thought that I, I hope in Snow Leopard they should build in some sort of functionality to AirPlay to your they Mac do. from your iOS. Mountain device. Lion has it. It it's, does. That's a, okay. that's a new feature coming up. So this this essentially okay. will be, uh, you know, non non necessary yeah, uh, deprecated <laughs> in in a few yeah. months. Um, which is also kind of neat. I think that's cool. Yeah, because I always feel like, I mean, I can't think of a good situation now, but there are a few times when I'd be like, oh, this would be really cool if I could. I think, actually, I, I might be wrong. I think it's Mountain Lion. I, I, Mountain Lion definitely has something. Well, let's put it this way. Mountain Lion will have the ability to send um, a, a video signal using the AirPlay protocol to an Apple TV. Maybe that's what it is. Yeah, you know what? I think I might have it wrong. I think what it, it can do, you can actually use an Apple TV as an additional display. Using AirPlay, okay. so you can essentially yeah. mirror. I don't, I don't think it's it's capable of driving its own, but you can send whatever is on your screen to a television, which is actually kind of cool. Um, no, that is cool. Yeah. Uh, and but uh, but there are sometimes when I want to use my screen as the screen for the iPad or whatever. Right. It is. And then there's all, there's a bunch of really cool apps that let you do that. I mean, there's actually that's a huge scene right now. There's like at least three or four different ways of, or more uh, of essentially using your iPad as an additional like to get more real estate. Uh, some guy has this system. Yeah, going from your computer to your iPad. Yes. Well, yeah, he he essentially he carries around 11 inch Air and an iPad, and he sets them up right next to each other, and he uses the iPad as his secondary display, which is like, I think it's kind of fun. It is pretty cool. I, I've seen that in some uh, blog posts and stuff. I wonder how the performance is. Yeah, I don't think it's good for like watching video, but for a right. palette menu or for like if you're you know if you're like me, sometimes I keep things like like uh, I have two displays connected to or I have a, a second display connected to my laptop, um, and I use my secondary display for things like Twitter and uh, and iChat and right. you know stuff that's going to just sort of sit there and I you know I don't necessarily need to keep keep it keep looking at it all the time it's more of like a static sort of thing you'd kind of have to get yourself one of those little docks to slide it into uh, the the ipad the yeah, ipad yeah. well i i don't have one of the cases yeah, so. yeah of course there, there's lots of options out there for that yeah 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 Yeah, i was meaning to try that i was just wondering if it was going to be more trouble than it's worth you mm. know how are you liking your um, ipad you getting any more use out of it uh, I use it to browse the web in the morning and check my email and every once in a while to, you know what it's good for? Google Maps. Oh, it's yeah, very Maps nice is nice on there, for sure. Um, I read on it sometimes. I, you know what? I don't carry it with me when I go out of the house because it's a little too big and clunky for yeah. that. You well, know? If, if you're not, a, you're not a, a bag-carrying type of guy. No, and, and right. If I carried a bag, then it would be yeah. fine, but I, I try to go unencumbered as much as right. possible. Um, it's fine. I mean, again, I bought it for testing, and it's fun to you know, play with. You know, actually, you I, should get um, you should get uh, easy release on there because that's actually a really great. Uh, uh, I have easy release on my phone, so saying, yeah, that's what I usually it's, it's use. It's really phone. good on the iPad. It's a lot more. Uh, oh, okay. So you know, a lot uh, more it, easy to read and what have you. Yeah, it's a. I mean, it's 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 neat, but it is not. Um, sort of looking for not like irreplaceable, but like I, if if I didn't have it, I wouldn't be jonesing for it you know fair enough um but it's yeah it's fine it's, it's pretty right uh you know we were talking about last week was camera straps mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and you got you and, get that, uh, uh and i got the seatbelt yeah. one right which is a uh, lens loop mm-hmm. um which was originally a kickstarter project and the reason why i ended up getting this one is because i was looking online and uh and i looked up this is one of those sling type is that what they call mm. them what do they call mm. these ones where where you're actually screwing into the tripod mount on the oh, bottom. Right. My favorite. And the camera's hanging upside down. Right. 
Uh, I guess the R, what is the rapid? Uh, Black rapid, rapid something I think is the name of it. Black rapid. Uh, it was sort of one of the the big names in this kind mm-hmm. of thing, but they cost like sixty dollars for yeah. those. And I was like, I'm not spending sixty dollars on a camera. Yeah, stuff. I mean, unless it has something uh, like some really fantastic pa- uh, padding or some really cool like hardware yeah. feature that make like a really neat, clever, quick release something right. or other. But no, from what I've seen, that those are really basically just some some nylon webbing and some you know some generic yeah. looking connectors. You know, and the padding looks fine, but I actually want something that's kind of smaller. Like I, I want a more minimal strap. I mean, I want it to be comfortable, but I don't want it to weigh a bunch and be an inch thick. Like I want to be able to stick it in my bag and not have to think about sure. it. You know, um, so I, I found this one and, and it had a Kickstarter campaign and they actually got enough money and they funded it and now it's a real company, which is nice when you see actual good little products come out of these yeah. things. So it's it's two pieces, right? You get uh, a little part that screws in to the uh, tripod mount on the bottom of, your com- uh, of the camera. And it's got a little bit of like a neoprene washer in there. So when you when you screw it on, it squeezes this washer down to like give some friction so it's not going to unscrew mm-hmm. without you unscrewing mm-hmm. it. Uh, and then there's like a little loop on there, mm-hmm. uh, which connects to the strap, which at the at one end of the strap, or rather on the strap, is is like a hook, right? You know, like a clip that hooks into this sure. thing. Now, the cool thing about this one is that the strap is made of recycled seatbelts, as Dan half mentioned at the mm-hmm. beginning. Um, which is kind of nice because seatbelt material is never going to no, break. it's definitely strong. And it's actually pretty comfortable uh, on your shoulder because it's wide enough. It's, you know, it's a couple inches mm-hmm. wide, and uh, and it sits quite nice. And overall, I like it. I like it better than a regular strap because a lot of times when you have a regular strap, like which is hooked you know, to the upper sides, mm-hmm. um, whenever I pull it up to my eye, a lot of times there's extra strap that's kind of like looping in in front of the viewfinder. You know what I mean? You have to like... I find it distracting. Um, I wanted something a little more because I like my camera without any straps sure. on it. And one of the nice things about this is that I can undo this, pull it off the bottom in 10 seconds, mm-hmm. and there's nothing. There's no like little pigtails hanging off the sides. There's It's just the camera. Nice. Yeah, right? sure. Because nine times out of 10, I just want the camera. I don't want a strap. So it's pretty good. Uh, I give it overall probably like a seven out of 10. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things that's weird about it is that when you have the camera slung to the side like that, it can kind of spin around in every direction. It's hanging upside yeah. down, but there's nothing keeping it from kind of rotating on the axis. Right. Um, so sometimes the lens is outward. Sometimes the lens is inward. Sometimes the lens is front. And it kind of bounces around on your on your hip yeah. a little bit. Um, I haven't found it to be much worse than your average camera strap in that way. You know, your average camera strap, you have it on your hip. It's bouncing around a little mm-hmm. bit. Um but, you know, some people like it. What's interesting is that I got a, an email from the CEO of the company the other oh. day. Because he's just like, I see you mentioned our strap on your podcast. Really? Like, how did he... Yeah. Wait, he just... Because we didn't... It you didn't tweet anywhere, did you? We, well, no. You know, what oh, we did is it's in the show gotcha, notes. Gotcha. And Google must Someone have... Someone must have clicked the link. It's, yeah, or Google spidered it. And, you know, he has one of those keep an eye out for mm-hmm. our thing. Uh, and I told him I'd, I'd do a little, uh, I was going to talk about it a little bit. And I thought it might be interesting to actually have him on as something. Sure. Well, what, what did he have to say? How did it go? What was the context? Uh, I went back and forth a couple times, but I haven't heard back from him in a couple of days over the weekend. So I'll, I'll see if, I'm going to see if I can get him to uh, come on. Just to talk about like the process of going from Kickstarter to company, I think it might be interesting. Sure. Uh, and, you know, where the idea come from or what what have you. Um, so overall, lens loop, pretty cool. I mean, I paid for this one. I didn't get any no, no, free no, stuff course. or anything like that. Um, but I think it's a $35, which, you know, for a, for a lens strap is actually not bad. And uh, it's it's cool without being hipster. Okay. You know, like it's not super cool. It's just kind of, oh, look, neat and minimal. I like nice minimal ideas. Uh, so, so yeah, so there's that. So there's the, the thing. And then... You know, you Dan, you're a big fan of the Nikon SB80s. Mm-hmm. That's my go-to. I love that little guy. Is it the SB80X? It's technically the SB80DX. That's the official product name. Okay. Um, and you and I have used these on a few of my shoots, too, that you've brought mm-hmm. along to try. And we just use them as straight manual flashes. Mm-hmm. They're basically like little monolights um, that have really nice manual control. You can dial them all the way down to 1 one twenty-eighth in third of a stop increments. They have built-in yes. optical slaves, which are pretty damn 
good. Like you don't, you don't, you really only need one or one pocket wizard just to go from the camera to the first flash. And then if you're using more than one, they can generally see each other. Great. Um, they're small. They're, you know, they're the old school smallish form factor. They're not like the giant SB 900 or, you know, any of the newer high end, uh, flashes. Um, yeah, some of these flashes, it's like, do you really need that much huge. power? And uh, and then also, um, it has a sync port, so you can plug a pocket wizard in, no problem. And um, they're just solid, you know. They, I mean, they were made; they're about ten years old, and they were made, I guess, in in China or Japan or somewhere. And just the overall build quality of these things is really, really good. I've dropped them, um, and you know, then I'm not saying they they you know they don't scratch up like anything else that you drop but uh but they still they still they still kick you know and you can get them for between 100 and 150 bucks on average well it's more like 150 now um on ebay and uh yeah i i think i have five of them now um wow but just you know i I used to set up a i set up you know for for long time listeners and you know that i'm a big time search feed junkie I, i set up you know all kinds of random uh rss feeds based on searches for stuff i'm interested in in uh on craigslist or ebay and so sometimes you know you'll see this really awesome deal you know some some noob on ebay posts you know a buy it now for like a 100 bucks with free shipping and it's like ah you know what i'll go for it <laughs> i could always use yeah you know just because you know, they are old and there's no guarantee to how long they'll last and you know for a hundred dollars that's right. actually not a bad deal have you had any break on you uh i don't think so well, that says what something, I doesn't have, it? I feel like I had something break on me once. Oh, you know what broke on me was my—I had an SB six hundred, my very first strobe that I bought brand new with my with my D seventy like five six years ago, and that took a tumble from a from the top of a stand, and it actually didn't break like unusable broken, you know, out of luck kind of deal. Uh, it, it it only what wound up happening was the. Uh, the zoom motor broke or one of the little gears in the head that controls the little lens in, in the head that, you know, that that kind of a little motorized thing that goes forward and backward that, that broke. And I was able to, I opened it up and I was able to zoom it all the way in or all the way out. I can't remember what, I think I just zoomed it all the way out and just left it there. And I left it there for like a year and a half or two years or whatever. And then I found out that you can get it repaired for like 60 bucks and I'm like, Oh, that's worth it. So I sent it off and, and I got it fixed and now it's all fine. But um, but no, the uh, the eighties have. I, I can think of at least one or two situations where they either fell or, or got dropped, and they seem to be just just fine. Well, I, I have been a little jealous of your SB eighties uh, the past couple months, or a little envious of 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 the power and and Conven- overall convenience. Yeah, of them. super handy, right? Yeah. So I, I was looking at the strobist, uh, the David Hobby, mm-hmm. right? That's, That's his the name. one. Uh, always uh, sort of pitches these uh, Lumo Pro strobes. Yeah. Well, I'm sure you know the, the history of that, right? Yeah, yeah. For those who don't know, that well, uh, real quick, uh, one of one sure. of David Hobby's, uh, or I should say, Strobist.com or whatever whatever the top site is. It's Strobist.blogspot. Yeah, one of his his longtime uh, first, you know, one of his first sponsors was a uh, was this camera shop in Ohio called. Uh, Mpex.com. Yep. Um, and, and I guess he struck up some really great deals with these guys where they give him and his readers, you know, good, good prices on stuff. And, and, uh, you know, he advertised them on, on, on his site and actually, and this yep. is kind of cool. Um, they're, they're so attentive to that strobist scene that, uh, the, the guys at Mpex have actually gone far enough to contract manufacturers in China to, to make products that they think will sell to strobist readers yep, just yeah, for him. And that's, that's kind of how this whole Lumo pro thing came about. Right. And so th- this, the 120 which I got, uh, is the old flash. There's now a 160. Oh, okay. So this is the second gen. Okay. So this is the, this is the oh, earlier first gen, one. Sorry. First gen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The old one. Um, what's the difference? So uh, I want, I wanted to check them out. Uh, the new one is, uh, more powerful. I think it's got another mm-hmm. stop on the mm-hmm. high end. Uh, it's, I think it might be a zoomable head. Uh, it's bigger. Uh, it's more like, uh, a manual version of the modern high end Nikon or Canon flash rather than a mm-hmm. little one. I don't need that much mm-hmm. power. I mean, even when we were playing with yours, I mean, did we ever really use them above a 30 second? Yeah. The, the, we average know? at the most, um, a, no, I would say average is eighth, eighth or 16th and at, at oh, most okay. a quarter. 
Uh, every once in a while, right. we'll pop something up to a half. But very rarely right. do we ever shoot anything. I mean, and this, that's actually one of the downsides to these little guys is they do. As, as great as they are, if, you, if you're shooting a one light at, at one-to-one at full power, you're going to have to wait, you know, four or five seconds in between shots at, at, right. at least, if not more. But but on the flip, if you if you just keep these things down at, like, quarter, eighth, sixteen, they just they just go and go and go for, like, weeks <laughs> on the same set of batteries. Right, which, yeah. is, which is essentially what I wanted, yeah. right? So I uh, so Lumen Pro, they... they got rid of the old one, this 120 to bring in this 160. Mm-hmm. And then just recently they had like, they got one more shipment of them and they are 129 as opposed to 169, I think for the bigger mm-hmm. one. So I was like, you know what? I don't need an extra stop. So I'll save 40 bucks and some weight and, and size sure. and I'll try the uh-huh. little one. Now the nice thing about these things, these little, uh, flashes is that they have i mean you can trigger them via the hot uh-huh. shoe you can trigger them with a quarter inch cable quarter inch sync cable like a guitar cable uh, or oh. eighth inch rather uh, eighth inch like yeah, headphone yeah. jack yeah uh like to alien beast. sure like our- and uh or or pc port socket nice. uh and they have apparently a really good optical slave Sweet. So that's like kind of a it's, a, it's actually just like the SB80, but with one up in that it has that eighth inch adapter so that you can plug it right in with a headphone patch cable. Right. Nice. Uh, the, now, the downside is no zoom. Mm. Uh, and the, the, the power settings, there's basically like two switches on the back. One goes off one to one, one to two, and then next. And then there's another switch. So if you switch it to next, then the other switch gets hmm. engaged, which is one quarter, one eighth, one sixteenth, one thirty second. So. You only have one stop increments. Mm. Okay. So if you need a half a stop, you got to do it a full stop and move forward or back well, a little bit. It's not the end of the world. You know, it's not the end of the world, but like, you know, for 130 bucks, you know, you get what yeah. you pay for. Um, the question is whether $130 isn't around the price that you can get an SB80 mm-hmm. for. I've noticed, so I, I got this thing. I haven't used it on a real shoot yet, but I've just played with it a little bit and it seems to do, you know, exactly what it needs Great. to do. Um, however, the Midwest Photo Exchange mm-hmm. uh, has a no return mm-hmm. policy, or rather, it's like a twenty-five percent restocking mm-hmm. fee. So I'm going to keep it, even though I really don't like it. It's fine. It's just it feels a little shoddy. Yeah, I was going to say the the one so the thing that uh, that I was most suspicious of, or most you know curious about. With that is the, the build, build quality. quality, and and you know it's. I mean, it's a, I don't think it's good. It's not going to break in my hand or no, whatever but it, it is, just, and it seems like it's let's pretty see solid. In 10 but years, though, <laughs> you know, exactly. I don't know right. I mean, I don't think these flashes are built for yeah, ten years. Probably, probably. Although there's plenty of people online who have had them for three, four years and still use them sure. and like them. Um, so part of me wants to get a few SB80s, but I don't really want to. I, I I'm not a big like fan of the work involved in sniping people on Facebook or uh, eBay to get them yeah. quick. Yeah. I'm going to have to bring you well, in. Just set up that. a set up a feed, man. You can go for the buy it now. Yeah. So, so I'm probably going to pick up a couple SB80s. In fact, I think I'm going to uh, see if I can borrow a couple from you today, take to Austin nice. with me uh, tomorrow. Uh, just to give, just to give it a shot, you know, with a few little lights. Yeah. Um, my, my only, is there's there, I mean, one, if I had to make one critique um, about the SB80, of the 80? and this is super minor. Yeah. Um, looking at the design, I'm just looking here at a picture of the Luma Pro of the of the 160, and there, the one kind of nice thing about having manual switches on the back is that you once you get to know them, you can make adjustments on them without having to see them. Um, and right. with the with the SB80, while it's nice uh, and has pretty, you you can definitely reach up like if it's on a high on a stand and tucked into an umbrella or something like that. Uh, you can reach up and feel the little you know it's got a little D pad essentially, little four way connect you know um, uh, controller thingy, uh, and you basically get, you know you push up or down uh, however many um, stops you want to go. The problem is it doesn't give you any real feedback audio wise, so you can't hear. Right. You don't know, like you might have pushed it one time too many, and if you are on that weird little brink where you're at the at the top or bottom of the range, because it does loop through. So if you're at like already at one one twenty eighth, and you hit down button, uh, you know, hit the down button once, it'll go to one to one again, you know, and then you'll and then you'll lose yeah, it. Yeah. Um. So, you know, it, that that's the one thing is like you can't you 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 can't you can't you don't have any real feedback to tell exactly what setting you're at. Whereas with with so you could reach up with this thing, go all the way down to the bottom, tick, and tick, go okay, yeah, up, up, up three to, exactly. Yeah. Now I know exactly where I am. So right. th- that that's one right. nice little feature I can imagine. You, 
One thing I'm going to do later this afternoon is actually go into town and get some of those Analoop yeah, batteries. Yeah, my favorites, the Sanyos. They're, they're, they're where it's Absolutely, at, right? Man. I've been using them for years, and the, I, I'm amazed at how well they hold up. And they, they just they go and go Excellent. and go. Yeah, they really work great, great for me. Uh, so, I mean, I'll let you know how this goes and maybe mixed in with the SB80s and see how it all works. Um, I'm not sure exactly how many things I'm going to bring with me, but that's the idea. Uh, one other little uh, thing before we wrap up here, the... Um, back to the uh, as the world turns of Bill's new Hackintosh mm-hmm. uh, the guys at TonyMac.com see basically one of the things that is hard to do on a Hackintosh is to get Mac OS to see the hardware uh, power management functions mm-hmm. correctly so what they've done in the past is they've written these things called DSDT files, which actually are sort of a bridge between what Mac OS is expecting to see and what the motherboard where motherboard has different uh, settings located, like what, like addresses and that kind of stuff. So that the, so you put this DSDT file in on the Mac and it understand it, it, it sends its normal signals and it goes routed through the DSDT file and hits the motherboard at the right spot to put it into sleep or wake so up. This, or what is that? That goes somewhere in the, there's software that you install that sort of like loads it into the right spot. On the that sounds pretty tricky. It is very yeah. tricky. Um, but uh, what was found out the other day is the new Z77 motherboards from this brand called Gigabyte, uh, which is sort of the preferred brand for uh, Hackintosh kind of people. For some reason, they kind of went on to went to this Gigabyte because they're fairly more inexpensive than some of the f- fancier brands. Um, and... They just had certain features that made it easier to hack. Well, the new Z77 motherboards from Gigabyte, apparently all the power management works without a DSDT. Hmm. Like whatever they've done using their new EFI BIOS, it like lines right up with what Apple's expecting. And so basically, yeah, so it makes doing Hackintoshes even easier. So it's kind of exciting. And so next week, I think the the word is that on the 23rd, the new CPUs are going to get released. And so... At that point, I will buy the new high-end CPU and one of these motherboards. I'm just figured, you know what? I might as well wait an extra week to see if somebody finds something else out about them while, you know, during sure. the week. So you're going to jump about on the cutting edge. Yep. And uh, we're going to see if we can uh, get this thing. I may have to overlap the two machines for a little while just because uh, one of the things that isn't necessarily in macOS right now is support for the new chips because the new chips haven't been released in any yeah. Mac yet. So it might be next week that they release an update for the MacBook Pros that has Ivy Bridge, in which case these guys will figure out a way to, you know, put a file in some place that is the CPU signatures or, you know what I mean? Yeah, there's, there's speculation uh, that... Um, I have I have no doubt that these nerdy 17-year-old kids will oh, make this course. stuff work. I'm, I'm kind of curious to see if uh, we're going to get uh, a new Mac Pro... Uh, you know, a professional desktop replacement at uh, WWDC, which theoretically, even though it hasn't been announced yet, should be happening within the next two months or so. Yeah. Wait, which machine did you say uh, is going professional to desktop, Mac Pro. You think there's going to be a new Mac Pro? Uh, it's okay. ripe. I mean, it's it's been... Oh, it's, it's, it's incredibly ripe. It just, it's been ripe for yeah. a long time, though, you yeah. know? Uh, yeah, I, I hope so, and, and I guess we'll yeah. find out. Um. Anyway, so I'll, I'll let you know in a week. Uh, I'm going to be in Austin for a little, for about almost a week, and then I have to run to DC quick. So next week's episode might be like on Tuesday. Okay. Are you going to say hi uh, to your but, friend uh, Dan? Uh, yes, nice. I plan to. Yeah, so we're going to see if we can uh, make that happen, and, and, and hopefully some other surprise. Uh, I'm going to meet up with some other people down cool. there. So uh, we'll see if we turn it Neat. into something. Uh, so if you have any questions or comments, you could, uh, go read, uh, leave a, um, what are those things called? Comments. 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 (laughs) At our blog at circuitous.tv is Mm -hmm. the website, uh, where you can see the show notes and click through and have fun with that kind of stuff. You could also get a hold of us at Bill Wadman and at Dan Gottesman Mm -hmm. on Twitter. We have an email address, which is circuitousconversations at gmail.com. There you go. And, uh, uh, and yeah. so uh, we always look forward to comments and criticism and yeah, questions. Keep, we like answering questions. Questions are fun. Keep them coming. I like that four-thirds question that from was a good last one. week. Yeah. 
Uh, somebody said to me the other day, I met up with uh, my friend Ed Dale, and he said that our podcast sounds great. <laughs> well, I think that's a compliment to you because you're the one who does the recording. Yeah, I guess so. But I, you know, she just, it was, it was a nice thing for him to say. And he listens to a lot of podcasts. Oh, all right then. So, yeah. I mean, I, I would say, I mean, I listen to a lot of podcasts too. And ours, I, it's funny. I don't actually spend too much time listening to ours, but I, yeah, it's weird how it. you can totally tell, you know, how someone's doing something if they're not doing it great. <laughs> sure. <laughs> so I, I've definitely heard my share of like, oh, okay. You're going to do it that way. Cool. Right on. Good luck. <laughs> yeah. Well, what there are you, you going to do? It's all good. No, no judgment here. Ever, I mean, as long as you're doing right, it, so, right? having fun. Yep. Making, making stuff. We will. We, so we'll, I'll bring some experiences back from uh, Austin. Probably a lot to talk about. So, until next week. All right. I'll see you then. Okay.